Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NYY Takes, a Pinstripe Perspective podcast. Today, I'm joined by just Matt Gerald. Les Williams is off being a dad, I guess. Um, his son had a baseball game, uh, and he decided that uh, that was more important than, than this podcast. Who would have thought? But anyway, Matt, how are we feeling after another nice week for the Yankees? Got to start off with a happy belated Father's Day to our resident dad. Of course, how could I forget? Our resident dad. Of course, fulfilling his, his parental duties, his paternal duties on this evening. The week was fantastic. It was a strange week, and I feel like every time we come on this pod, we have to foment controversy because this team is just yep. so damn good right now. That being said, it was a great week that was capped with perhaps the worst loss of the season. I would say the last game of the Toronto series, very frustrating, a game that the Yankees should have won. We'll get into the details later, but overall 50 wins out of 67 games, tying the 98 Yankees in terms of the winning percentage through 67 games. I think sometimes we just have to step back and appreciate history when we're seeing it. This feels like one of those occasions where we're going to, we're going to get into the nitty gritty about wins and losses and what happened during the week. But We also just need to appreciate what we're seeing right now, which is the best Yankee team since either of us were in preschool. 100%. By far the best Yankees team that I can remember watching in my entire life. Because me being a one-year-old baby in 1998, don't really remember too much of what happened that season. So I do want to talk about that first Rays series. I guess the first series of the week, which was that Rays series. You talked about uh, fomenting controversy. Um, I'm not so much going to foment controversy as just kind of offer this statement that right now the Rays are a bad baseball team. And I say that because the Yankees in the three games against Tampa scored eight runs combined uh, while Tampa scored four. The Yankees won the first game 2-0. Obviously, Garrett Cole on the mound. So tip your cap to him. They won the second game 4-3 and then won the third game of the series 2-1. But when you actually look at this lineup that they were putting out there every night, Matt, it was it was bad, man. I mean, without Bilal and without Wander, and later in this series, they didn't have KK, this lineup was really weak. I mean, I, I was there on Thursday night, and just looking up and seeing Yandy Diaz, you know, Manuel Margot, Randy Rosarena being their three best hitters, that lineup doesn't scare you at all. So I'm not so much poo-pooing the Yankees or, you know, woe is meing with the Rays, but I just, the Rays are not the team that they were built to be with these injuries. And I think the Yankees caught them and are currently catching them at a very opportune time where they are really struggling to stay healthy. And obviously Margot just got hurt. So the lineup they were rolling out there wasn't great. And I think the Yankees pitching being as good as it was, put them in opportunities to win close games. And then my final note on, you know, my, my little rant here on Thursday is I was at the Thursday game and we mentioned it's kind of unbelievable. You know, you don't have a lot to say about what this team is doing this season. And when Rizzo hit that home run and I'm at the stadium, I was not even excited. I wasn't, you know, doing my usual, you know, high five and random people, whatever. I was just hysterically laughing because everything about what has happened this season is honestly hilarious given all of the downtroddenness and depression preseason from the Yankees fan base. And then we come out and this is the best Yankees team since 1998. So the whole culmination of that, where it's you're winning a game where you're 
starting Clark Schmidt, following that up with Ryan Weber, Ron Marinaccio, and you're winning another baseball game on a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth, all I could do was laugh, Matt. And that's all I've been able to do for the past three weeks, it feels like, because none of this actually feels real. That's how I feel. I'll just quickly pick up on your comment about the Rays lineup as well, because it's it's a really good one. I, I like to put any given lineup through what I call the Brett Phillips test. Mm. In this case, it's easy because Brett Phillips is on the Rays. But if Brett Phillips or a Brett Phillips adjacent player is in your lineup somewhere, it probably means you're not a very good team because Brett Phillips is terrible. And then you look at the Tampa lineup from Thursday as the Yankees uh, now are down by three runs, unfortunately. Clark Schmidt just gave up a bomb as we just spoke well of him. But in any case, (laughs) Brett Phillips was hitting sixth in that lineup on Thursday. And that's how you really know that you're failing the Brett Phillips test. Yes. Is it Brett Phillips is hitting anywhere above ninth in your lineup? Sixth is really high. So yeah, it's a bad team offensively speaking. What the Rays do have going for them this year is one of the best stories, which is the breakout of Shane McClanahan, who has morphed into one of the best pitchers in baseball. And that's been awesome. Their bullpen has been nails per usual. They just seem to pull these guys off the street and they become shutdown relievers. But I think in the year 2022, you're not going to win a ton of baseball games if you can't hit. And the Rays can't hit. They especially can't hit without, as you said, Wander and Lau. Um, losing Marco is also a big blow. So we're looking at a team that's going to continue to have a really hard time scoring runs. And I just think in the absolute shark pit that is the American League East this year, it's going to be hard to stay competitive. We've seen the Blue Jays are kicking into gear. The Red Sox are playing great baseball of late. There are just too many good teams in the division. Yeah. Now, with all that said, I also was – I was, so I was watching the game on Thursday from my couch, and I was pretty darn excited when Rizzo hit that bomb, but it didn't feel unexpected. It Not just felt all. like another instance of the fact that this team just wins games. And I, I was actually just telling my roommate, who's a big Sox fan – Um, a few minutes ago, I said, I know what you must have felt like in 2018. Yes. Because it was the same thing. The the Red Sox were just winning games that year in like stupid ways, games they should not be winning. It's almost like like when you're trying, it's almost like the Yankees were legitimately, that Thursday game especially, trying to lose that game. It was a classic quintessential Boone punt game. He's going Clark Schmidt, Ryan Weber, Ron Marinaccio, but somehow the Yankees end up winning. And that's just the – that's where I laugh. Um, another- Ryan Weber being a hero. And, you know, dude has earned every last gemstone on his World Series ring with that effort. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. Ryan Weber is a hero for the 2022 Yankees. It's just – that's how you know everything's breaking your way. So you mentioned the, uh, the Brett Phillips test. Uh, before I get into what I like to view as my litmus test for a good lineup, uh, I actually don't know how strongly I accept Brett Phillips slander on this podcast. Mostly because when you look, so I'll say this, he is having his worst offensive season as a major league player, but he is in the 100th percentile in outs above average, the 99th percentile in outfielder jump, and the 91st percentile in sprint speed, and has a cannon of an outfield arm. Now, what's very funny about Brett Phillips is that while he is in the 100th percentile in most of those categories, I am not exaggerating when I say he's in the first percentile in K percentage the first percentile in expected batting average, the first percentile in whiff percentage, the third percentile in X slug, the list goes on and on. 
So quite literally, uh, maybe one of, if not the worst hitter in baseball, <clears throat> at least so far this season, but also one of the best defensive players in baseball. So take with that what you will. Now, my test for uh, how good a lineup is, is I go to a lot of games with my dad. And if my dad sits down at the stadium, he'll often give his quick assessment of the lineup. And if he sits down and, and looks up at the scoreboard and says, who the hell is that? More than like four times, that's when you know. When you know that, you know, my, my dad, you know, I, he has more of a life when it comes to the Yankees, you know, than I do. You know, I'm sitting here doing a podcast every week about this baseball team. So if he sits down and he's telling me who the heck are these people, that's kind of when I know this team's probably not very good. Now, on the flip side, is he a great talent evaluator? Probably not. But that's when you know it's like when someone knew you that watches a good amount of baseball that you go to a lot of games with has no idea who's in the opposing team's lineup and they're supposed to be a, a division rival of yours, it's kind of a sign that that team is, is nowhere close to where they should be. And I think the Rays are that right now. The Yankees have caught them at a, at a fortunate time and they're really slipping in the standings because of it. But the dad test, the Papa Coles test, as I like to call it, that's what I like to go with. The Brett Phillips slander. We may have to circle back on that later. I love that. That's a great test. That, that is, uh, yeah, you, you, you put a, you know, a somewhat casual fan up against a, a lineup of a division rival. And if they don't, they don't know the players, probably means that they're not much of a divisional rival at all, which I think is what we're going to see. And I'll submit the prediction. It's not a particularly bold prediction right now that I think the Rays are going to finish fourth in this division, especially if the Red Sox end up getting anything from Chris Sale. I, I was having this conversation with, uh, with my roommate the other day, but I do think the Rays are still the third best team in this division with Wander and Bilal healthy. And with, I guess with Margot hurt, it actually makes them a lot worse now, but like assuming KK, Margot, Wander and Bilal are all healthy. I think that's the third best team in this division. Also dad, if you're listening to this, uh, Matt did not mean to call you a casual fan. Very sorry about that. Anything else to add about that Tampa series? I mean, it's kind of one of those things where the Yankees shouldn't have won all three games, and they did. Yeah, I think we're seeing the kind of flip side here where the Yankees did win last night. Again, they, they just found a way in a very frustrating game. Tonight looks like one they might, they might not win, and that's, that should be normally how things are. Like, you, you play a divisional opponent on the road, and you're, you're not going to sweep them. It seems like, just based on how things have gone, we expect that the Yankees to sweep every series – but I'm with you. There's nothing much more to say than the Yankees are good. Good teams find ways to win games. They find ways to beat divisional teams who are inferior. And that's what they've done to Tampa so far this year. Yeah. So I have a general thought about like the bullpen and them being kind of how important that has been, to, you know, losing it on Sunday, obviously. So let's just get into the Toronto series. I thought as you know, predicated on my three and three prediction for the Yankees uh, on our last podcast, I said the Yankees would go three and three over the next six games. I thought the Yankees were pretty set to lose two out of three to the Blue Jays, especially when you consider that this is a team that had just played three straight games, played a nine inning game that went to the bottom of the ninth, walk off, get on a plane, fly to Toronto, and then the next day. It was, uh, it was Friday night, obviously, that first game of the Toronto series, is I'm you know watching it on my couch, and it felt like one of those games where the Yankees weren't going to score any runs. I was watching you know with a couple of my friends. We were like, oh, this is, this is one of those nights where the Yankees aren't scoring. Obviously, an overreaction, given that they scored in the fourth inning of this game. But then seemingly out of nowhere, it's a two-run 
they, but they put up two in the fourth, and then obviously they have that eight-run fifth inning. And the game was over immediately, didn't really have to watch the rest of it. And it went from what felt like was going to be a tired team kind of losing to a Blue Jays team that I thought was going to be extra motivated to take this series, just getting steamrolled. I don't have many thoughts beyond that for game one. That's pretty much it. I actually missed the majority of that game because I was otherwise occupied. I, I definitely checked the, I checked the score in probably the third inning and I saw there was one nothing. And it did feel like a hangover game of sorts. And then I checked back like an hour later and I was like, okay, I don't even need to turn the game on when I get home. Exactly. The game, the game has already ended. Obviously, Anthony Rizzo with the Grand Slam. Very cool, very fun. Everyone kind of got involved on, 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 the, homer, on, the, on the homer party there. Uh, Giancarlo hit a homer. DJ went dead center. How often do you see that? You really never do. Joey Gallo got in on the fun. So, yeah, that game went from uh, this feels lethargic to, uh, oh, this team is just mashing home runs. Uh, And then Saturday was kind of the offensive performance that I expected on Friday night, which is the only offense you really get is the Hicks bases clearing double two outs. And you win again because of pitching because Jamison Tyone doesn't allow a singular run. And obviously you're going up against Alec Manoa, who's been a Yankees killer the Yankees demon this season, I guess throughout his career since, since he debuted against the Yankees last season. And the Yankees get the big hit. That had like a playoff game feel to it in the sense of how the game was constructed because oftentimes playoff games come down to, because you have two really good pitchers going against each other, oftentimes playoff games come down to one at bat in one moment. And obviously Hicks's bases clearing double was that moment. So it felt like a clean win. But again, it's another one of those wins where it's like, If Hicks doesn't magically come through there, that game's probably a loss because no one else was really doing anything for them. And it's just another, you know, you you put it on the pitching's tab. You put it on Jamison Tyone's tab and you move on to the next day. Saturday was awesome. And it was primarily awesome because I hate Alec Manoa (laughs) so much. Alec Manoa to me is sort of like this year's version of like 2018 Joe Kelly or something. Just a guy who goes out there and he's an antagonist. And he's even an antagonist when he's not pitching. You know, there was a the incident last year where he was jawing at Severino yep. after Severino purportedly threw at someone. He's just and, – and he's he's constantly barking at the dugout when he's on the mound. He's just one of those guys that's easy to hate if he's not on your team. And it's true that Hicks – that basis clearing double was the big blow of the game. There's no question about it. But what I really liked was even though the hits weren't coming on Saturday like they were coming on Friday – the Yankees were making Manoa work really hard. And I think what ultimately happened is that Manoa kind of ran out of gas in that Hicks at bat. Yeah. 94 pitches total over five and a third, only 58 of them for strikes. Um, they, they only worked one walk, but it felt like they were working a lot of deep counts. And I think Manoa kind of tired out um, and ended up giving up another inherited run in the sixth after he was pulled. So a great effort. You love to see teams buckle down and beat those guys that are easy to hate. And the bullpen took him the rest of the way after Tyone just submitted another phenomenal start. Can't say enough good about, about that guy. He has an eight and one record and normally I would never cite record ever, but in this case, it's indicative of how well he's pitched. Yeah. Only use the record when it's good. Right. Right. That's, that's how win loss records work with, with MLB pitchers. 
Jameson Tyone is so impressive because he's got he, – last year he felt so timid in the way that he pitched, and this year the way he's attacking hitters is so much more impressive. Wasn't able to go a full six innings, which is too bad. He did kind of have that little slip up. I think he left with like runners on first and second. But yeah, I mean, Jameson Tyone, there's really not much more to say about him. He's just has attacked hitters all season and turned into the pitcher that I think a lot of people expected him to turn into at some point last season, but never quite got there. And then this year, even after surgery on his Achilles heel, is probably the best he's ever been. So those are fun. Winning is fun. But we finally have a loss to talk about. And it's Sunday, which you mentioned at the top of the pod was a big pain point for you. See, I didn't feel so distraught about this game. I more just kind of took away, you know, what I'll end up talking about. But you were bothered by this one. I was extremely bothered by it. And it, and I, I went into the game on, I turned on the game on Sunday thinking that I didn't really care what the result was going to be. You know, they'd gone five and zero in what was billed as the defining stretch of their season. One loss at the end is not, didn't really kill anyone but then when they went ahead eight three and ended up blowing the game and losing then then it felt then it felt crappy then I didn't like it anymore and I think it was also the way in which they lost that contributed to how annoying it was um so one thing we can talk about is you know Miguel Castro has actually you know he's been an asset out of the pen this year but he's much better with a clean inning and he came on. He came in in a situation where there were runners already on base. And then I, 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 another thing I generally don't like to do is complain about umpiring because balls and strikes go either way. And I mean uh, that at bat, that that Guriel at bat was tough. The well, the Guriel at bat was, but it was. Actually oh no, who the was the one before? before? It was the Chapman at bat. Yeah, it was the Chapman at bat. Yeah, that was. I mean, I'm looking at the uh, at the at the strike zone tracker right now just to remind myself how abysmal that was. Two straight pitches, both clearly in the zone, were missed by Ryan Wills back there, who overall had just a really inconsistent day. It's funny, actually. The what I'm shocked at, what I'm shocked by is I'm looking at his umpire scorecard. Umpire scorecard's great Twitter account for those of you who don't know about it. And the overall favor is only 0.01 runs in the Blue Jays' favor. And in terms of impactful missed calls, the calls that an umpire makes that are wrong that, that result in the largest changes in run expectancy, none of the pitches in the Chapman at bat are on the list of the top three. I'm shocked by that. I, wonder, I know that they have very complex Yeah. I wonder what about the formula that lends itself to that? Because it definitely felt like in the moment, like if they're not, if he's not getting those calls, something bad's about to happen. You could feel the bad moment coming once those calls weren't going the Yankees way. It was, it was, it was really tough to watch. Now they do have the, the third place on that list of the top three was the Jordan Romano pitch to judge with a one, one count well off the plate yep. inside and low to judge that ball was called a strike leading to a one, two count instead of a two, one count. And that completely changed the course of the at bat. And there was a runner on it's judge, you know, the rest goes unsaid or doesn't need to be said. So that one makes sense. But, but those Chapman calls were really bad. Again, I know it's the kind of thing that balances out over the course of a game, but that felt like a very crucial moment, especially for Castro, a guy who does have trouble throwing strikes on occasion, to not get those calls. That was the moment that I felt like the Yankees really lost that game. And I know that you know they were still leading. Even after the subsequent Grail Grand Slam, they were still leading 8-7, but 
just felt like the momentum had completely shifted at that point. I want to be careful with the words that I use here, but when it comes to that game on Sunday, it felt like that's what the Yankees had coming to them for an entire week. When I was, you know, we were talking about that Thursday game against Tampa and how they went Clark Schmidt, Ryan Weber, Marinaccio. I think Wandy pitched in that game. I'm not positive. But basically scraping up the bottom of the barrel and still winning baseball games. And then on Sunday, you have Clay Holmes available for an inning, but the previous game you used Michael King for two innings, so he's out of the question. And when you don't have Michael King to use anymore, when you actually stop and look at the Yankees' bullpen, it's not nearly as impressive as it should be at the moment because I think now you're really feeling the absences of Chad Green, who won't be returning. And then for the ones that will be returning, the absences of Jonathan Loisega, Araldus Chapman, Zach Britton. It feels like the Yankees have been, had been up to that point really getting away with robbery on their bullpen to a certain degree, and it kind of finally caught up to them in one game, which is better than it affecting them over the course of many games. Obviously, this game tonight, Clark Schmidt giving up that homer stinks. But it, I think now, and luckily the Yankees have 50 wins, but now is where you're starting to kind of realize, oh, the, the Yankees actually do really need to get a reliever at the deadline. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, Chad Green is out for the season. Loisaga has been out. We don't know how he's going to come back. Chapman has been out. We don't know how he's going to come back. Who knows what Zach Britton's going to look like. The bullpen as it currently stands, I actually don't think can effectively maneuver their way through a World Series run. I don't, I don't know how crazy that is. But just with, given the injuries and given how much they're going to end up having been used by the time we get to October, this bullpen needs one or two more arms to kind of make me feel really comfortable that there's not going to be any burnout here and that there's insurance for injuries. Because if Loisiger or Chapman gets injured again, or God forbid Clay Holmes or Michael King gets injured, the stress test is kind of proving now that the Yankees need to make additions. It's a great point, and I think to an extent, the number of guys that they're missing in that pen has been masked by just how dominant the starters have been. Exactly. We know that October baseball is a whole different animal. One thing that I also want to mention on this topic that I think is important, I am never in generally in favor of the argument of we will figure things out and fill the gaps from within, um, especially when it comes to you know the lineup. Um, but the one section of the game that I do think that strategy can pay dividends in is the bullpen uh, because you can bring up young guys from the minors that the major league hitters have never seen before. So you have that element of surprise. It's likely that they'll have thrown fewer innings than someone you might find on the trade market. So you have the benefit of, of more rest being fresher. And in this case, I do think the Yankees have a couple guys waiting in the wings um, that are starting right now in the minors that could have an impact as really great high leverage relievers in October. And by that, I'm talking about the two W's, Ken Waldachuk and Hayden Wesneski. Hearing a lot what about guys. Them. What's that? We've been hearing a lot about them. That's for sure. Yeah. Really good. Really solid pitchers who are having good seasons at AAA. And again, I, I don't mean to suggest that, that the Yankees should not try to swing a deal for a big league reliever. But I do think 
know, just given how great, for example, you know, Schmidt and Marinaccio have been in the time since they were brought up and in the, in the opportunities that they've been given, I think those two guys can have similar, similar kinds of success. So I do believe in the Yankees, especially with the, with the pitching machine that they are in command of right now. I do believe in the Yankees' ability to get a lot out of arms that aren't, you know, prime Aroldis Chapman, prime Kenley Jansen, guys that people, that casual fans, <laughs> casual fans might not know about. <laughs> I, I do believe in their ability to, to, to do that. Um, yeah. So I would much rather, if I had to choose, you know, for example, between the Yankees swinging a trade for a great outfielder and and swinging a trade for a great reliever, I'd probably, I'd probably gravitate towards the outfielder right now. That's just me. So my hope is that they're going to do both. Definitely. I don't, I, I don't know how you can look at this season and not say, all right, we have no choice but to go for it right now. So I yeah. would hope that they, that they make the move to add to the bullpen and get something to shore up their outfield. Although Aaron Hicks has been playing well of late, sort of. But yeah, I hear you on the um, Wild the Chuck and Wesnes, uh what, what would it? What was it? Wesneski? Wesneski? Um, Wesneski, yeah. Um, I hear I hear you on that front. I just don't know how much we can trust them, you know, come postseason time, obviously. So those are good guys to have in the bullpen to kind of stretch out a regular season and, and take a bit of a load off other players. But I still think if you want to make that deep playoff run and make a playoff run that on the surface right now, seems like it's going to be built on pitching. I still want a David Robertson type, a David Bednar type, a Daniel Bard type. One of these relievers that has been really, really good this season to fit onto this team. Totally agree. And I also want to be very clear right now. I believe that this trade deadline, there should be no one, and I'm, I'm talking no one, who is off limits. Mm. for the right return trade Dominguez trade wow. Bay. I don't, I don't care. This is the season where you go for it. Prospects be damned. This team is that good. They have that good of a chance of making a real run. And so I think you, I think you do whatever it takes. Now I'm not, I'm not saying I would trade, you know, Volpe for a rental. I mean, that's not what I'm saying, but if you have a, if you have a chance to get a guy who's really impactful and who's under team control for multiple years and the ask is Volpe, you do it. You do it. So I can give a sneak peek of, um, you know, probably a, a podcast that we're going to devote pretty soon to just trade deadline stuff. But someone that I would really wouldn't mind the Yankees acquiring goes by the name of Ramon Lariano and fits the criteria of someone under team control. He is in the first year of arbitration, so he is ARB2, ARB3. So the Yankees would have him theoretically through the 2024 season. Are you parting? And the A's are smart. They're probably going to ask for Volpe or Dominguez in a trade for him. Are you doing that? That one I need to think on a little bit just because, I mean, for starters, Loriano's pass is a little bit checkered. Definitely. The PED suspension, some vacuous sort of attitude things that have come <laughs> up. Um, but a great player, no doubt about it. Great defender, good hitter, multiple years of team control, like you said. So that's one where I think, you know, most people 
around the team would probably say no shot. The Yankees deal one of their top two prospects for a guy like that. But I would say this gives us, this gives a perspective on how aggressive I think they should be. I would think about it. I would think about it. Yeah, it's definitely not a, I don't think you can immediately turn down any possible scenario. I think you do have to think about it, but I, but I think the risk you run with Dominguez and Volpe is, you know, what if Dominguez turns into a superstar? What if Volpe turns into a superstar? And obviously while risking it all for a world series this season is important and feels important in the moment, making a trade like that and it not working is it's a bad look and it's, it's not something you can have. And I think, I, I think, I think though the flip side is worse not what upgrading. it, what it really watching, comes watching down Joey to. Gallo flail at a high fastball for strike three in an ALCS matchup with the Astros. That's what keeps me up at night. Not Jason Dominguez becoming a superstar for the Oakland A's. Personally, again, this is a totally subjective conversation. Well, yes. And we can devote a podcast to this fully, but you know, maybe not the Ramon Lariano's of the world, but maybe the Austin Meadows of the world. Pretty good player. Probably a better fit there would be like the Andrew, Andrew Benintendi's of the world. Guys, that might not cost too much, but then you kind of get into the conversation where it's like, are they being too coy? We'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. There's, you know, a month and change until the trade that's done, and, and we'll get deeper into that once we get less back on the pod and his son's baseball games are over. Um, Anything else to add from that series? Any any thoughts before we get into our three up, three down? I think we've I think we've spent it. A lot of a lot of rightfully a lot of time on a really important week, a season defining week. Everyone said it was the season defining stretch, and they did well. They passed the test. Yeah, so far at least. I mean, Lord Lord knows what's going to happen these next two games, this last game in Tampa, and then Houston comes to town, and that's a pretty good baseball team over there. Oh, uh, the, the housekeeping thing that we missed. Um, Albert Abreu, you had some fun stuff on him. Yeah, our, our friend Albert Abreu um, has re-entered the fray. He was waived, not waived, he was DFA'd, wrong sport. He was DFA'd by the uh, Kansas City Royals and is now back in the Yankee system. And his stats are just fun. Now, we all, we all know that Abreu um, always had the raw stuff to succeed in the bigs. His issue was command and control, and those problems by no means left when he left town. For the Royals this season in 13 innings, he has a 3.46 ERA. You might say, wow, a renaissance. Abreu is finally realizing his potential. Until you look at his expected number, and you see that that's 6.64. You look at his walks per nine, you see that's 11.08 against an 8.31 strikeouts per nine. So because the inning number is low enough, we can just do this. 13 innings, 16 walks, 12 strikeouts. Oh, boy. That's really bad. That being said, I'm at a point now with regard to the Yankees and pitching where they could sign anyone off the street. And I would say, well, they must see something in them. Exactly. That's how it feels right now. However, I do want to give some credit to the players themselves. Albert Abreu's entire career has been riddled by command issues and he got DFA'd because he has a lot of trouble throwing a strike. But yes, I do think the Yankees would be able to pick Matt Gerald off the street and turn him into a pretty solid pitcher. Who knows? So that was the last 
housekeeping item. I don't think Albert Abreu is going to become much of a factor at all here. That remains to be seen. So let's do it. Let's get into three up, three down. So without less, it's back to two up, two down. But we'll just keep it rolling. Do you want to kick us off with your first up? I would love to because I, it is one that Les would really appreciate if he were here as our resident Glaber Torres enthusiast. My up is Glaber. Straight up carried the team against the Blue Jays. And overall, his week was extremely impressive. He went nine for 26. And seven of those hits were for extra bases, six doubles, and a very big home run in the second game, the third game, I apologize, against the Blue Jays. Glaber is, he's just, he's, he's back to the guy that we wanted him to be, and he's the best version of himself that he's ever been. And you could just see it in his approach at the plate. He's, he's very disciplined. He's not trying to pull everything. He's got some opposite field power back again. And he is seemingly, you know, I know that the the numbers aren't the kindest to him in the field, but he does look much more comfortable defensively than he did when he was playing shortstop. It's been wonderful to see the renaissance of Glaber Torres. And at no time has it been more notable than this past week. So very clear up for me there. Glaber Torres is a really good example of why I urge people to not care so much about results and what the results are and what they say. Because we've been saying from the beginning of the season, even when Glaber was struggling, we've been saying this is still the best Glaber Torres has ever been based on pretty much contact quality alone. He's in the 91st percentile in hard hit percentage. His hard hit rate is 50%. For reference, his career high hard hit rate is 38%, and that was in 2020. A bad year for him, I might add. So the funny thing with Glaber is that I actually think he's been misrepresented his entire career. So like 2018, 2019, I think he was incredibly overrated. And then 2020, 2021, incredibly underrated. And now in 2022, I actually think he's finally properly rated as a baseball player. It has all come together in his fifth year as a major leaguer to the point where I think everyone kind of agrees that this is a solid baseball player. No one's acting like he's some crazy star phenom that's going to take over the league. But at the same time, no one's acting like he's completely lost the ability to hit the baseball. So I think we finally have the Glaber Torres that is, which is a good hitter, you know, a defender that's going to make you want to rip your hair out sometimes, but an overall very solid baseball player and someone that's very likable, even though that doesn't really show up in the numbers at all. I'm looking at Glaber's spray chart right now, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, he had had a couple awesome oppo homers against the Cubs in that series. The classic Glaber home run is the one that goes into the right center bullpen at Yankee Stadium. Those are the Glaber home runs where you just, you know, he's seeing it right. And he's been seeing it right pretty much all season long. He still only has a 310 OBP, which is pretty, pretty funny. Um, but, it do, but he does have an 829 OPS, you know, 519 slug. His power numbers are very, very good right now. Yeah. And you've got, you know, 13 home runs of those seven 
or get the opposite way, six, we're pulled. Yeah, uh, it's, it's incredible. Healthy, healthy spray chart. Healthy spray chart, healthy Glaber, happy Yankees fans. Not much to complain about with him so far. So my first up, it's going to be a self-controversial one and someone that we've been giving a lot of crap on this podcast. Um, my first up is Aaron Hicks because I think this deserves recognition no matter how fraudulent it might be. Uh, in the month of June, I'm going to go the entire month of June, he's slashing 321, 410, 434 with a 371 weighted on base average and a 147 WRC+. He has some big, big hits as well. He had a big home run way, way back in Minnesota that I think kind of started this entire thing. He had the double down the line against Toronto. And then just recently, just last night, he had that big go-ahead double against Tampa. And I think the prevailing thought with Hicks is that the wrist injury sapped most of his power, which I think is true. Wrist injuries oftentimes have a way of making hitters lose their ability to hit home runs. But recently, Hicks is starting to hit the ball better. But my only point of reservation is that in the month of June, while he's having these great numbers, he does have a 390 batting average on balls in play. And a lot of his hits are just little swibbers and little kind of flares that happen to beat the shift. So it's some smoke and mirrors. It's some, you know, legitimate big hits where he's actually seems to be seeing the ball better. And some of his swings look a lot like the 2017, 2018, 2019 hicks that we knew. But regardless, I think it's time to show Aaron Hicks some love because he's at least playing like someone that knows his job is on the line finally. And one of the things that we spoke about before the season started was Hicks came in the training camp or training camp, wrong sport again, spring training in really good shape, looking like someone that came in prepared, knowing that, you know, this is kind of a big make or break year for him. And he came out of the gate pretty well. He was actually pretty good in April. And then things started really slowing down in May. And now he's back up in June playing, you know, pretty well, at least producing, whether or not it be sustainable, he's at least producing. So you kind of have to give him credit where credit's due, right? I think you absolutely do. And even if you have the bad version of Hicks, he's still taking his walks. He's not chasing anything. So he's doing useful things at the plate. You know, the power is gone. And I think, I think we can officially, like, write and say the eulogy for the Aaron Hicks power. I don't think it's coming back. It's probably a lot of the wrist, um, but he just can't elevate and drive the ball anymore, which in my opinion makes him as a guy who walks, doesn't chase, who can't have success when he makes decent contact. It's a good bench guy. I think Aaron Hicks is a useful player, especially, and, and uh, I didn't come up with this, so I want to credit the River Ave Blues folks, but he does look more comfortable when he's in the corner outfield position rather than in center. So since judge has been so great in center, the Yankees have been able to shift things around, put Gallo in right and Hicks in left sometimes. And I think Hicks looks better in the corner um, at this stage of his career. So a useful player, not a starter on a world series contending team, which is why once again, I say that the Yankees need to go get an outfielder (laughs) real bad. Please, please go get an outfielder. Um, but, but I think Hicks is going to be a useful player and an important contributor on this team. So I think it's good we're giving him his due in this pod. 
I'm still not totally sold on if he's actually going to be a part of this team come August 1st. I wouldn't mind if he were. I kind of want a weird part of me wants to see Aaron Hicks succeed because he used to be really good. And it's fun when he's good. He's owed a lot of money. I don't see a world in which they just can him outright. Well, unless there's a way to, like, get rid of him, but that doesn't really seem to be an option. Yeah, I don't know that he has much value in the open market at the moment. I would agree with that. All right, so moving along, your first and only down of the week. Yeah, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but this is just a we, you know, we have the good Giancarlo stand weeks and we have the bad stand weeks, and this was a bad stand week. Yep. Nothing that he won't break out of. He always does. People get mad, and then all of a sudden he's mashing homers left and right. But he had a very bad week. He went one for 24, did hit a home run, uh, but he was bad. And that's just what you have to accept when it comes to Stanton is that he's super streaky. And when he looks bad, he looks terrible. He flails constantly. And he's been doing a lot of that lately. But he'll turn it around. We know he will. So had to be my choice just because of how abysmal his stats were. But it doesn't mean that I am at all miffed or disappointed in Stanton. It's just who he is as a hitter. Also, that one hit that was a homer was legitimately an accident. Yeah, he did not mean to do that. That was one of those classic Stanton homers where he just kind of swings and it just goes over the right field porch. And he's he's just really damn strong. So yeah, he can just is. flail and hit the ball and it goes out of the park. And it's not like Rogers Center is particularly deep in right field. So it just kind of went over the fence. But yeah, this is what we're going to get with Stanton. We've come to accept it. He's going to have weeks, weak stretches where he's terrible. He's going to have weak stretches where he is just mashing baseballs. Stanton has been a Yankee long enough to the point where we're conditioned to this. And luckily the Yankees are good enough to where they don't have to solely rely on Giancarlo Stanton to be really good in order to have success. So you kind of just take the good with the bad with him, ho-hum, move on, who cares really. We know that he's going to get back to the form that he will, and we know that this is probably not going to be the last one for 20 slide that he has this season. So we take what we can get with Giancarlo Stanton. You just have to hope he gets hot at the right times. So my down is... um. Painful to say the least. And it's less a down and more just something I wanted to throw out there. Uh, it's Jose Trevino. Uh, he is Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> less, Ooh. less would be, I think less if he were on this podcast would have left immediately when I said that. <laughs> I think he would have just, he would have just exited the stage. Um, but yeah, he's 0 for his last 11. And not to play, you know, narrative ball here. Uh, but but Higgy is two for his last 11, but his two are homers. Higgy has actually started to look better at the plate of late. And a big conversation that we were having throughout the beginning of the season is who's going to be the last man standing of these catchers. Is Trevi a good story? And is he fun in the moment? But is Higgy really the one that's going to come out on top in the end? I still don't actually know the complete answer to that question. I don't think the Yankees do. I think they're just going to end up kind of rolling with whoever's running hot. So Trevi has kind of come down to earth a little bit. Is it such a crime to have to point that out? Trevi is human. And Higgy's starting to hit homers. Lies. I I can't believe you would say this during the height of his all-star campaign. (laughs) Put this energy out into the universe. No, but actually for real, he has no chance of being the starter because voting is rigged and the entire country of Canada has decided to come out and support Kirk. So he's nowhere close to the first position. Kirk has like a 600,000 vote lead, I believe. So Trevi's all-star starter campaign is over before it began. That being said, I still can't believe that you would 
promote this this talking point while we're fighting for our lives out here it's trying true. to get Trevino into the All-Star game. I've made a big mistake, but I feel like it had to be talked about as it seems to be going unnoticed. Everything seems to go unnoticed when you win games. If the Yankees were 1-5 in five over the last week and Stanton was 1-24 for 24 and Trevino was 0-11, for 11, you wouldn't be hearing the end of it. But because you win, nothing matters. And that's the beauty of the game of baseball. All right, so that's it for three up, three down. And now we're bringing back the Gary of the week. Okay, so Gary had a, um, as you know, we love Gary Sanchez. We don't need to do the whole thing again. But Gary had another good week, hitting above 300, OBP above 350, hit a couple bombs, had a little hashtag I am Gary Instagram, season of WRC plus over 100. He's an above average hitter as a catcher. You don't find that very often but he's got a strong competitor and another good friend of ours, Luke Voigt. Although I stand by the fact that I never liked Luke Voigt very much in the last week. And this is gonna be tough for Gary to Gary to go up against in the last week. Voigt is slashing 333, 448, 792 with a 511 weighted on base average and a 236 WRC plus. I love these weekly numbers because they're so meaningless, but they're so inflated and fun to read. Uh, he also has two home runs and five RBIs. Luke Voigt quietly has been pretty pretty good for the Padres of late. And I'm not really sure how to feel about that. I don't think I really care because Anthony Rizzo is just better than him. But who wins in this battle of the Garys, Luke Voigt or Gary himself? This is definitely a tough one. Both guys had really good weeks. I will say that I think that Luke Voigt wins this one. That plus, over 700 slugging, it's hard to lose any battle with that kind of number. So I do think that Luke Voigt wins this round. That being said, Gary also had himself a great week. Four games, a double and a homer. 18.8% walks, just 12.5% strikeouts. Good week for Gary. I don't know if this is the right time to publicize my like galaxy brain theory. Oh, I was the actually theory. about to... Um kind of transition into that you were dropping some some galaxy brain theories into the slack channel today so i think you have to make those public yeah would the yankees be a better team if they hadn't made that trade let's assume that everything else let's assume that everything else is the way it is so they still make the trade for trevino and you have some kind of gary trevino timeshare at catcher and you have dj playing every day at third and glaber playing every day at second and you have geo urshela as the shortstop is that team better than this team? So crazy to think about because, like, the answer, like, could easily be uh, – the answer, I think, from a pure mathematical standpoint, is that there's no chance they could be worse, right? I don't think so because you figure – again, it's, it's kind of a dumb comparison, but you figure if you just purely sub in – like, Gary's having a better season than, than Higgy. Yes. I know Higgy's been coming on stronger the last few games, but Gary's been better than Higgy. Trevino is still himself. IKF – has by war had a better season than Gio, but Gio's been a better hitter, considerably better. Gio's been exactly league average, 100 WRC plus. Yeah. And then you have LeMahieu, who's been very good. Claver, who's been fantastic, both in the lineup every day. I don't know. I think there's an argument to be made that the Yankees are better if they don't make the trade, which is, I guess, a segue into a more maybe a more interesting and less ridiculous discussion. 
which is that the team has been so good, but it hasn't, it hasn't been so good because of the moves that were made. Yeah, it's, it's so – I was actually thinking about this the other day because I wrote an article before the season about how good the 2022 Yankees are, and actually a big portion of that article was that, like, IKF and Donaldson are going to be really big contributors. But it's been everything besides those two. Totally. Totally. I mean, not that Donaldson hasn't been awful, but he certainly hasn't been anywhere near great – you know, great regular or all-star caliber. He's been fine. And IKF has been bad. <laughs> I mean, okay at best. And yet the, the, you know, just because of how great the pitching has been, how great Clay Holmes and Michael King have been and Aaron judge and to a lesser extent, some of the other guys, but really it's, those are the big factors. That's what's driven that the historic nature of this team, not the changes that were made, in the off season. So really what the Yankees did is they took a team that was super disappointing and, and really, you know, just one of the, one of the least likable teams of our lifetimes. And, and they took the same group of players and made it into the best team of the decade, perhaps. Well, yeah, it's because you get improvements out of the guys that were already here. I, obviously it's the pitching. I, I think this entire, this entire season is owed to the pitching and to Aaron judge. That's yep. basically the crux of it. But, of course, you're getting improvements from Glaber Torres, DJ LeMahieu, Anthony Rizzo, obviously Judge. But, it, like, Hicks, bad. Gallo, bad. Donaldson, bad. IKF, bad. There's just, like, Higgy, bad. There's a lot of bad. And it's not like it's been this, this combined offensive effort. It's like Aaron Judge is just the MVP this season. And the pitching is the best in baseball. And you're getting, you know, huge contributions from, from Anthony Rizzo. So it's really just been Rizzo, Judge, a little bit of Glaber in pitching. And, and DJ here and there. And that's it. And it's, it's kind of the same exact team that this, that this team was last year. Just better. Just players playing better. And that's, that's really it. It's not, it's not anything beyond that. Because I think it is so funny. Because I've been thinking about that for a while. Where it's like... The guys the Yankees acquired haven't really been the difference makers this year. Interesting food for thought. What would this team be like if we still, oh, if Gary were on this team, just like along for this ride, wouldn't that be a great time? I would be floating. (laughs) That's the only thing that could make this team more fun is getting Gary back. I know a lot of people might disagree with that, but that's how we feel here at Pinstripe Perspective. So, we have to get into our weekly predictions for the next slate of games. So Les phoned in his prediction for next week. First of all, I was wrong last week. It's already covered. So you guys both get bumps in the standings. We're going to have to do like a standings audit at the end of the month to really see where we stand here. But I don't think I'm doing so great. I think I started off hot, but, but not so great anymore. Um, so it's five games. Right, we're gonna have five games. It's one against Tampa, and then four against Houston. So let's assume that we record Monday. So let's assume that less meant. Should we give him four and one, or should we give him three and two? Let's give him four. Uh, let's give him four and one. Four and one. Okay, four and one of this. What's your prediction? I need to think about mine. So I'll start by saying that 
Well, it's, it looks like the Yankees are going to lose this game to the Rays. I know that I know that this one doesn't count in our standings. John Carlos standings up with two on and one out, and one swing could tie the game. So we'll see. But assuming they lose this one, I think they do come back and win tomorrow because that's what the team's been doing all year. They suffer one minor setback, and then they just blow the doors off the next time out. So I do think they'll win that game. So that's one and zero. And then you got the four games against the Astros, and this to me seems like I haven't I don't think I've mentioned this as a possibility for any of my recent predictions but that feels like a trap series or a series for some regression back to the mean where some of those close wins end up becoming close losses so I think that the Yankees are going to split that series with the with the Astros yeah they'll have a couple of good wins I think they'll have a couple of really bad losses as Stanton grounds into a double play. Oof. And so by that logic, I think that they're going to have a three and two week. That is my official prediction. Three and two. I just saw the Stanton double play. You know, not much you can do there. That's just a heck of a play by Taylor Walls. My goodness. Best defensive shortstop in baseball, by the way. Um, anyway, three and two is your prediction. We said we gave less four and one. We did give less four and one. And I, I, I came, I devised those two things simultaneously so that I would, so that one of us gets some separation in the standings. Oh gosh. We'll let you go first next time, Robert. I feel like you end up at the short end of the stick a lot. Well, yeah, but I also easily could have gone first, but I asked you to go first. Um, uh, I wish I knew what the pitching matchups were going to be for the Houston series. So Monty's tomorrow. So it won't be Cole, Monty, Nestor. So we'll get one of them. So it'll probably be, what's the Tyone for game one, Savvy for game two, um, and then Cole for game three, and then Nestor for game four. Nestor, today's Tuesday. So, yeah, that would be normal rest. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm going to say four and one. I'm going to join less in the four and one train. I think the Yankees are going to lose tonight. I think they'll be able to beat Tampa tomorrow. I sure hope at least. I can't really imagine them losing a series. So I'm just going to say they'll beat Tampa tomorrow and then they'll take three or four from the Astros because I think, first of all, stadium's going to be rocking all weekend for that series. And second of all, it feels like the Yankees this entire year have been kind of playing big brother to everyone. And the Astros are the team that I hate to say this kind of feels like big brother to the Yankees. So let's face it. The Astros have owned the Yankees for the last five years. If the Yankees were to hypothetically lose in the, in, in an ALCS to the Astros this season, I think I would just quit being a sports fan. I don't think I can take that another time. So I think the Yankees will come into that series very much, very motivated, very pumped up. I know that only goes so far, but I can see them really putting their trying – to, trying to make a point against the Houston Astros. And I know I kind of said the same thing, giving the same reasoning on why the Blue Jays – why I thought the Blue Jays would beat the Yankees last weekend, and obviously that didn't go so well for Toronto. But I think the Yankees are good enough to where they can kind of go in there and, and try, to, try to cement their stake as the best team in this – in this league right now. And, and Houston has quietly been the second best team. So I think the Yankees are going to take a lot of pride in that series. So four and one of it is less four and one, me four and one, Matt three and two. 
any final yeah. thoughts, any, anything that we missed that you wanted to talk about, brush over anything? I am looking forward to this Astro series more than I've looked forward to any other series yep. that the Yankees have played this year, more so than the Blue Jays last weekend of the race right now. That to me feels like the division is, I don't want to say it's over because I am really superstitious, but the Yankees have put real distance between themselves and their division rivals early in the season. They've banked all those wins. But now we move to the only other team, in my opinion, the only other team in the American League that is at all competition for the Yankees outside their own division. The Central is garbage. The Astros are in. That's the it. Astros are in. So it's a big test. And I'm looking forward to it. And it's not something – last year it would have been the opposite. I would have been scared shitless. Yes. But this year I'm looking forward to that test. Yes, and I will be lucky enough to be there in attendance on Thursday night. So that should be a lot of fun. Nice. Very excited for that. Uh, interestingly enough, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the this is going to be the first Houston versus Yankees game where Houston's coming to Yankee Stadium with full capacity? Yeah, I believe that's right. Yes, since the 2019 ALCS Game Five. Yeah, first time since the cheating scandal broke. So it should be a madhouse. And given how good the Yankees have been, that just adds fuel to the fire. So that's going to be quite the dogfight of a series. Now that I think about it, a split is probably the most likely outcome. But I'm going to hold strong on my 4 and one prediction for the Yankees this week, this week. So with nothing else to add, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe Share it with all of your friends. Leave us a five-star rating. Helps us out a lot. If you want to stay on top of everything Pinstripe Perspective, you can give us a follow on Twitter at Pinstripe Purse. That's at the word Pinstripe, followed by P-E-R-S. We also, you can also take, check out our website, PinstripePerspective.com. You can follow myself on Twitter at rcoles. 0206 that's at r-c-o-l-e-s 0206 on twitter matt where can the people follow you twitter as well mc gerald 14 m as in matthew c j-a-r-r-e-l-l one four you can find all of my yankees takes there you can also find my work recapping the yankees minor league system for our sister website pinstriped prospects Yes, Matt does a lot of work with the, pop, the with the Pinstripe Prospects staff. Obviously, he dropped uh, our good friends Ken Waldachuk and Wisniewski tonight. Hopefully, we'll be seeing them up in the majors making a difference soon. But without further ado, nothing else to add. Maybe the Yankees have a rally in their bones and can take the second game of the series against the Tampa Bay Rays, but it feels unlikely. So with that, everyone, enjoy the rest of your week, and go Yanks.